Hey, thank you so much for checking out today's video. I'm Pastor Matt, this is Pastor Adrienne, and we pray this message blesses you and encourages you all throughout your week. Absolutely. For any more information on how to be praying with us or to become a part of our community or to give, please head on over to takeovergr.com. Amen. Yes, give it up. Whew. Tell you what, we still do only two songs and it still goes for 40 minutes. That's how we roll. <laughs> Um, well, welcome. Feel free to take a seat, friends. Um, if you're new here, welcome. Uh, my name is uh, Pastor Evan. I'm the pastor of discipleship here. Um, and I get the honor and privilege to uh, bring you a word today. Um, so I just want to first quick say thank you. Oh, remembering? That's an S-E, whose you are. There we go. <laughs> um, Thank you to everyone who's just been really encouraging to me. I mean, the amount of like encouragement that I've received since I've walked in, that's just super cool. Definitely feeling that going forward with love. So thank you to all of you. Um, whew. Well, what a night so far, huh? Well, let's lean in because God is present as, I mean, Alex was just praying. Uh, so good. And um, whoa, is that this mic? We're having a few mic issues. Okay. Well, we'll see. Um, uh, so I think God's given me a good word for you guys tonight because as I was preparing and writing this, like, it kind of started to wreck me. So, I mean, it's just kind of funny how that works. I think it happened last time I, like, got a message together for Ignite. So I just, you know, I, I, my hope and prayer is that the, the Lord meets you uh, just as much as he met me and actually just way so much more. So, um, if you were at my, the last time I got to preach for Ignite, um, I began to lay out some of the foundations and basics of what it means to be a disciple uh, of Jesus, right? And I started to kind of coin it or describe it in a way of becoming more like Jesus by dot, 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 right? Does anyone remember what the, the two I did? Pop quiz, here we go. Way number one, becoming more like Jesus by... Obeying. There you go. Obeying his teachings. And the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Give it up. Round of applause for Pastor Scott. <laughs> he went back to his notes. That's real. <laughs> um, yeah, we looked at both of those, and they complement each other quite well. Um, we also looked at how our yes is only as good as our no, if you remember that. Um, like your yes to Jesus is only as good as your no is to, to saying no to temptation in your flesh, right? Um, and that's difficult, difficult for us because we're rebellious and sinful. We kind of got into that a little bit. And then to be honest, we can't really change that about ourselves by our own merits, our own strengths. We need Christ's strength and victory to make any real changes in ourselves. And we need his spirit to dwell in us to empower us for that change to happen. Tracking? Cool. Um, so I wanted to quickly just recap those because I'm going to continue to build off of those and give you another uh, foundation or basic of what it means to be a disciple, a follower of Christ. Okay? Um, so I'll give, you, I'll give you one more tonight. So if, if you're a Christian uh, and you're anything like me, which you are, I bet the number one thing that gets in the way of you walking out your salvation, or this um, term sanctification, or you growing up in Christ, so to speak, the number one thing that gets in the way of that is you. 
Um, <laughs> it is. I mean, it's, it's not your, your family or your parents or your friends or, or whatever. I mean, certainly, certainly those things play a role in you growing up, um, becoming like a better person or a worse person, all those things, right? But at the end of the day, the one who has the most say is still you. You're the one ship or the one plane that you get to pilot. And as the pilot, you get a lot of say in where to go, in what to do, what to consume, what to watch, and how to grow. Put another way, your actions are your own. The good ones and the bad ones. The, the good ones where we, we live and follow and embody uh, Christ's teachings, right? Um, and we are good hosts for a spirit to, to dwell in us and live in us. And then we're also responsible for the bad ones, the ones where we live into our flesh and we think we know better than God. But let me remind you that sin separates us from God and it corrupts us. It starts creating us into something hellish instead of heavenly. And so what I've discovered about myself is that when I've given in to my flesh and, and I'm sinning against God, in the number of ways that I fall short, um, I've either forgotten who I am or I believe myself to be something different than who God tells me I am. I'll say that again. When you're sinning, you've either forgotten who you are or you believe yourself to be something different than who God tells you you are. So this leads me to the title of the message and the next way that we become more like Jesus. So foundation number three is becoming more like Jesus by remembering who you are. I really thought about playing a scene from The Lion King when like Mufasa's in the big cloud and being like, no, I, I know. I'm like, well, it's not like youth ministry. I guess we can maybe stay away from Lion King, but remember who you are. That's my best Mufasa impersonation. No, don't applaud for that, please. Oh, now I'm, now I'm sweating. All right. All right. Um, so we become more like Jesus by remembering who we are. So that begs the question, who are we, Right. And it may surprise you, and maybe it just doesn't, that the Bible has a lot to say about who you are, like a ton. And as I was making a, a list of the things that I could think of or that, and that I found in Scripture, I, like, I got overwhelmed um, in a good way because it says so much and so many good things. And so I'll speed through that list at the end, but there's a few of them that I want to zoom in on, in on first. So uh, we're going to turn to Romans 6 for the first one. Um, and we're going to read and see what it has to say and inform us of who we are. And also, just like last time, Matt was teasing me again. Um, I got a lot of scripture. So buckle up, have your pens ready, jot down the scriptures. Feel free to just follow on the Sky Bible. Um, I'm going to be reading from the NLT version. Um, and uh, yeah, it's going to be good. Um, Y'all came here for a word from God, right? Okay, well, good. That's why we're reading his Bible, and you know, the, the word of God, scripture. I, I find it a little funny when somebody's like, oh, I'm just waiting on a word from God to like know what to do, and I'm like, well, read the Bible, and it's his word for you. All right, I'm, I'm being a little facetious. Um, so as we read this, pay attention to all the ways that Paul talks about who we are as followers of Christ, okay? It's basically like every line of Romans 6. So <laughs> here we go, Romans 6. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Well, of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? 
Or have you forgotten, <clears throat> not remembering, that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know that we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. You see, death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you should, should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Verse 12. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires and do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin no longer is your master. For you no longer live under the requirements of the law, and instead you live under the freedom of God's grace. So what do we see here? And so Paul is, is showing us again and again that we are dead to our sin, dead to our old way of life, and now we are alive in Christ. We have a new life, a new way of living. So that there is no, notice that there is no partiality in this, right? Just as your whole self was susceptible to sin, now your whole self has died and been brought to new life. It's a new kind of life. And so I'm going to borrow a small little metaphor from C.S. Lewis. I know, surprise, surprise. It is the difference, he says this, it is the difference between paint, which is merely laid on the surface, and a dye or a stain which soaks right through. Jesus never talked about vague ideals. He said, be perfect, and he meant it. He meant that we must go in for the full treatment. You see, there's no halfsies or partial remodels. Jesus is an all or nothing kind of guy. <laughs> and, and we're an all or nothing kind of church. That's why we exist to see Jesus take over people's lives, the entirety of them. It's because that's what Jesus died and rose for. He wants it all. He wants all of you, and he wants all of me. So let's finish this chapter, chapter 6. Picking up at verse 15. Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does this mean that we can go on sinning? Well, again, of course not. <laughs> Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Well, <laughs> thank God, because once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin, and you have become slaves to righteous living. Because of the weakness of your human nature, I'm using the illustration of slavery to help you understand all of this. Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led even deeper into sin. Now you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living so that you will become holy. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. And, and what was the result? You are now ashamed of the things you used to do, things that end in eternal doom. 
But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So what, what, what do we see? We see that we have been freed from being enslaved to sin, but you still have a choice of who you want to serve. And it's a daily choice. Look at verse 16. Don't you realize that you become, more, or become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? The difference is now that Christ has made a way for us to choose to follow righteousness. You have an active role in this agreement, in this relationship, but what is that role? Paul uses the example of slave and master. Now, I don't think we have a problem you know, using this terminology when, when we talk about being enslaved to sin, like that makes sense. Like, oh, I, I'm, I'm in shackles, I'm in, you know, I can't break loose. But once we start to say that we are enslaved to righteousness or enslaved to Christ, I think we get a little uncomfortable. <laughs> but my, my hope is that you'll come to understand that being enslaved to Christ is actually the most freeing thing for any of us and all of us. Let me say it another way. If you're a follower of Christ, you don't own you. You don't own yourself anymore. And that is the most freeing thing for you. First, uh, First Corinthians chapter 6, 19 and 20, it says this. Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. This is one of the, the, the best and most important truths for walking out your salvation. It's that you no longer own yourself. And, and this is so hard for us to understand in, in our modern day or in culture, just in America and West Michigan, because we don't, we don't have the context of what it means to be enslaved or whole, wholly owned, right? So let me try a different approach uh, and, and an example to kind of get to the same idea. Let's talk about sports real quickly. Now, I'm not a real, like, sports guy, so more sporty dudes, uh, I think, will still back me up on this, these two. <laughs> if you want to be a professional in a sport, you're going to, need, going to need to eat, sleep, live, and breathe that sport. If you want to be a professional, that's the kind of life that you have to adopt and take on. It takes much more than just raw talent. It takes incredible discipline and commitment to make it to the professional level. Every decision that you make has to be made in consideration of either moving you towards that goal or not, right? So in short, I, I think it's safe to say that you've sold yourself to that. And you must, in fact, give yourself to be a slave to that sport or that goal in order to make it. Now you might say, hold on, Pastor Evan. Uh, they're not enslaved to it. They choose to go after that goal. And if they wanted to, you know, change directions or do something else, I'm sure they could. And I would, I would agree with you. But didn't we choose to follow Christ? And instead of representing some team for a sport that entertains people, don't we represent the living God who doesn't entertain people but saves them? Like how much more should we be all in to be a professional, quote unquote, Christian? <sighs> the quotes, I heard somebody. <laughs> so I also want to point out that we culturally have been reduced to a rather short-sighted view of what it means to have freedom. Yes, we have Voting Tuesday, and you should go vote and uphold our country's mantra of freedom, but not for freedom's sake, for God's sake, for his kingdom's sake, 
But our country's idea of freedom has now culturally become something so individualized, so self-centralized and self-serving that it creates a barrier within our ideations of who we are as, as people. Yeah, as, as a people, a people group. Like, <laughs> uh, Our culture's idea of freedom is that you get to decide for yourself. And since you decided it for yourself, then that can be your truth. But what this also ingrains in us is that not only you get to choose right and wrong for yourself, but that you are simply put by yourself. It teaches us that we stand alone and in, in individually, that you're an island unto yourself. And this idea is so far from what scripture reveals to us of who we are as a saved person in Christ, right? I mean, even the phrase predicates that it's with somebody. It's with Christ. It's because of him. I think this is why most analogies of like your, uh, your new identity in scripture is not singular in nature. For example, the Bible talks about it as becoming a, a child of God, right? Like that's a relationship, parent-child, and you're being adopted into his family. Once again, familial. You're being part of the body of Christ, right? You're, you're a member, a piece, a part of something greater, larger. Same thing, a citizen of heaven, right? Jesus says, I'm the vine and you are the branches. He says that, that we, the church, are his bride, right? We're co-heirs with Christ. We're, we're, we're alongside Christ in that. I mean, the list goes on. So you, do you see what's going on here? It gets to the point where you don't even get to own your own thoughts because you were never meant to be alone. You were designed and created to be in a union with God and for his spirit to reside in you. Now let me say, there is, there is such a pure freedom in letting go of the decision making. Freedom isn't about being able to make decisions yourself and by yourself. It's about living and in the flourishing love of God. That's what freedom is. It's a freedom in not having to say yes to the thoughts and lies that run through your mind or the temptations that go through your head. You see, the problem is that we get stuck in our own head. And because of that, we find ourselves marooned on our own little like skull-shaped islands. We get consumed by our emotions and our inner thoughts and then we let those thoughts and feelings of our present circumstances govern how we decide and act in the world around us. We let the problems and the things in front of us determine what we should do instead of the circumstances and security of heaven being our deciding factor. That is great, so I'm going to say it a different way. <laughs> we forget the truths that we are bought and paid for. We let the, 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 the unseen truths, in, or sorry, we let the seen truths in front of us rule us instead of letting the unseen truths of heaven rule us. That we have a good master and that has empowered us and equipped us to walk in victory. And because he is a good master, he has prepared all things to work together for the good of those who have loved him and are called according to his purpose. Now at the risk of giving Pastor Matt a little more ammo to tease me, um, I want to borrow something from my reformed upbringing. <laughs> I also want to say it could have been the Enneagram. So, uh, <laughs> the Heidelberg Catechism was first published in 1563, long time ago. Um, 
And the Heidelberg Catechism, it summarizes the major teachings of the Bible in 129 questions and answers. And I had to learn a few of these uh, growing up and going to catechism class. But the most well-known one is question and answer number one. And this is what it reads. The question is, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And the answer, that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all of my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. And in fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Now because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, he assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. All right, so sure, I'm a little bit older and I might want to change some of the wordings of this, like, but like, come on, that is good. <laughs> what is your only comfort in life and in death that I am not my own, but belong body and soul, life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ? I mean, they got it. <laughs> it's far better to be owned by Christ than to be owned by yourself. In entirety, in its entirety. In fact, it's so good that there's a comfort in it. Not only because I am saved from my sin, but because... Now I'm, I'm equipped, I'm, I'm, I'm a new being. I have new life and I'm wholeheartedly willing and ready to live for him. So I wanna go back to chapter six in Romans, looking at verse 22. Um, but I'm gonna read it from the NRSV translation because I think it, it, it says it so well. It says this. But now that you have been freed from sin and enslaved to God, the advantage you get is sanctification. And the end is eternal life. Let me read that again. But now that you have been freed from sin and enslaved to God, the advantage you get is sanctification. And the end of that is eternal life. So we see that eternal life is the destination, but it's not the whole gift. God didn't become man, live a perfect life, show us how to live, die, conquer death, come back to life, just so that we could live out the rest of our days however we want, and then be saved. You see what I mean? No, he, he did all that so that he could have us all, our final destination and our present. All right, so we're not on our own and we're not our own. And those are both really good things. We're saved from ourselves and now we're living in the new life of Christ, obeying his teachings and are empowered by his spirit to actually live it out. These are the basics. But I want to hone in on what the daily walk and struggle of this can be. And I say struggle because if you're anything like me, which you are, dying to self is difficult. And getting lost within your own head and emotions is just a gauntlet that we have to lay down daily at the foot of the cross. So let's turn to another letter from Paul in order so that we might see what, how to make this heavenly reality a present circumstance. Uh, we're going to look at the letter uh, to the church in Colossae, uh, the book of Colossians, chapter 3. And we're going to read uh, 1 through 17 because the context is really good, but I'm, I'm just going to focus on 12 through 17. So verse 1. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, well, this sounds like almost like the same thing, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. 
So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Ooh, that word lurking. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Do not be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Now because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You, you used to do these things when your life was still a part of this world. But now it is time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all of its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. Verse 12, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us together in perfect harmony, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body who are called to live in peace, or sorry, for as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, or giving thanks through him to God the Father. All right, that was a lot again, right? And Paul actually kind of says a lot of what he already said to the church in Rome. Imagine that. It's like he's preaching to people again. Um, so he walks through the instructions of dying to our flesh, our earthly passions, desires, and temptations. He, and he contrasts how that's a, a, a road of sin and it leads to death, right? Both, both presently and to the eternally. But he shows with a life in Christ, it leads to eternal life and new life both here and now and in the eternal, right? But what he adds here, he adds in this letter, he gives the beautiful imagery of, of clothing ourselves with Christ. So once again, in an unapologetic way, I'm going to paraphrase a quote from C.S. Lewis. <laughs> Pastor Matt got me a Bible that has like C.S. Lewis quotes riddled throughout it. So like, you should have seen this coming. <laughs> um so I, I kind of reworked this quote a little bit to update the language to be a little more in like the um, modern vernacular. Uh, but this is from uh, his book, Mere Christianity, if you're curious. He says this. So what is the good of pretending to be what you are not? Well, even on the human level, you know, there are two kinds of pretending. There's the bad kind where the imagining of helping is there instead of the actual real thing. As when someone pretends he is going to help you instead of actually helping you. Um... Like when you ask for help doing the dishes and the person says, yeah, I'll come help. And then they like come in the kitchen and then all of a sudden you know, they're like, oh, look, all of the dishes are done and you didn't do anything. <laughs> I think you just stood there and talked. Oh, hold on. I'm not talking about you. <laughs> oh, no. I'm not talking about my wife. Sorry, honey. I had roommates. I used to live with a whole bunch of dudes. Uh, uh, I love you, honey. <laughs> All right, but so that's the bad kind of like imagining that you're going to help somebody because you don't actually go do it, right? But there's also the good kind. 
where the imagining actually leads up to the real thing. Like when you're not feeling particularly friendly, but you know you ought to be, and the best thing you can do most often is like put on a friendly face and behave as if you were already a nicer person than you actually are. We've all been there. <laughs> After a few minutes, I think we've all noticed that we've actually started to, to feel friendlier than, than you were. Very often, the only way to get a character trait in reality is to start behaving as if you already had it. That's why children's games are so important. I mean, they're always pretending to be grown-ups, right? Or playing soldier or house. But all the time that they're hardening their muscles and sharpening their wits so that the imaginations of being grown-ups actually helps them grow up in earnest. Now the moment you realize, here I am, dressing up as Christ, it's extremely likely that at that moment, you'll see in some way how you aren't like Christ, right? And, and how your pretending could actually made, be made a little bit less of a pretending and more of a, of a truth and a reality in your life. You'll find several things going on in your mind which would not be going on there if you were really being more like him. So do you see what's happening? Christ himself, the son of God, who is man, just like you, and who is God, just like his father, is actually by your side, by, by his spirit, and is already at that moment beginning to turn your imaginings into a reality. So you see, once again, we find ourselves in a position of action, a place of having to make a decision of how to act and, and what to lean into. It's a choice that we have to make daily, like choosing what to wear to either embody and put on Christ or accept negligence and listen to our own thoughts and ideas. To choose to set up camp on an island by ourselves because finally there's no one else there to tell us what to do or who to be. So how is it that we can like drudge through this multitude of choices and decisions that we come up against every single day? We, we, we put on Christ, we, pre, we, we pretend, we, we live into that and we let the Holy Spirit do a truly marvelous thing inside of us as we do that. We act in a truth and a reality that we know not to be our own yet. We play pretend and start practicing the motions and truths of who God says we are, even though we might not believe it or realize it yet. Being enslaved, sold out, all in, 100% in on and dedicated to is only a bad thing if it's anything less than our God. But when it is our good and perfect Heavenly Father who has created you in His image, who has called you, purposed you, and equipped you, and saved you, and gone before you, well then being a slave to that can only be a comfort knowing you're living into everything that our loving Father has for you. <laughs> uh, worship team, you can make your way up. So the question I want to ask you is, how are you like, struggling? What is it that you're walking through right now that is speaking louder to you than the truth of who God says you are? Are you overwhelmed with shame? Do you feel like hiding from God instead of running towards him? If that's you, then you're holding on to some brokenness and saying, ah, this brokenness, this is who I am. There's some brokenness that either has happened to you or, or a lie that has been told to you and you believe it more than who God says you are. Or maybe you're in a different place where you know these truths and you agree with them and you believe them, but you just, you don't feel like super excited or like a, a deep joy about those truths being 
real about you. Then who you are and whose you are hasn't settled in deep enough yet. There are still other voices speaking louder to you and they still look more enticing. Or maybe there are some truths of who God says you are that are easy to, to know and believe, but there's still there's other truths that are just harder to believe. Well, at the beginning of the message, I said I came up with a, a, a whole list, right, um, of, of ways and things that the Bible says about us as, as, as believers, as people who follow Christ and proclaim him as Lord of our lives. So I'm going to read this list, and, and as we begin to worship, I want you to examine the list and, and, and pray over it. Ask God for a revelation of where there is a lie you have been believing about yourself more than who he says you are. Let the lies of not being enough fall off of you. Let the lies of having to make it on your own fall off of you. Let the lies of being valued by what you look like or how much money you make or if you, if you have someone to hold you at night or being a good enough parent or, or being at a certain place in life, leave it all at the wayside and instead ask to be moved and truly see yourself the way that God cherishes and loves you. Listen to who God has declared you to be in Jesus and then pray for yourself and pray with others. So feel free to stand. Um, I'm going to read this list. I'm, I'm not going to race through it. I'll do it a little slowly, but... <sighs> Father God, send your spirit now. Jesus, come alongside us in your spirit. Reveal to us. Touch our hearts. Lord, we need you to teach us what we don't know. To grow us in the ways that we can't. So, Father, as, as I read these, light up our hearts. Light up our minds. Prick an, an inner part of our being so that we can, we can hear something that we don't believe yet, something we don't believe about ourselves yet. But, Father, you have already said it. You have already declared it. You have already done the hard, heavy lifting by dying on the cross, rising, and, and saying, I've paid the price so you don't have to. So instead that you can walk in the life that I lived and share in what I have. So Holy Spirit, come. So who, who does the Bible say we are? It says that you're adopted. You're brought into a new family. You are called. You are chosen. And now you are a citizen of heaven. You're a friend of Jesus. You are bought and paid for. You are Christ's bride. You are a sinner who's been saved and now you're a slave to Christ. But you're part of a body, you're part of something more. And now you're a living stone, a foundational piece to what God is doing. You are his child. You are a co-heir with Christ, you receive the blessings and glory that he is owed. We're a holy nation. You've been set apart and you've been clothed in Christ. Now you are hidden in him. You are embraced by him. 
Now you are dead to sin and you're alive in Christ. You're an ambassador. You are the head and not the tail. You are filled with his Holy Spirit. You have been cleansed and washed. You have been healed. Jesus is the vine and you are the branches, an extension of him. You get nourishment from him. You are made in the image of God. You are forever loved. You have been forgiven. And now you're, you're a temple, you are filled with hope, you are filled with joy. You're made with a purpose. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. You are his workmanship created for good works. You are a light to this dark world. You are sought after, you are cherished, and you are beloved. I just encourage you, if one of those stood out, if, if, if something inside you leapt and said, that's it, that's, that's what I need, pray it over yourself. Ask God for more to reveal. Be persistent in your asking. And if you don't hear anything, turn to a neighbor, ask them to pray for you. God loves when his family, his children come together and they say, we want to learn, we want to encounter you, we want to be in your presence. So God, I, I, I just pray. Come down, reveal to us, make us alive, give us your joy. We know that you are, 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 are more real than anything in our present reality. And so, Father, I just ask for a thin place between heaven and earth right now. I ask for the veil to be pierced and to be torn back. Lord, for your presence to fall in this place and to be in your people. God, we're hungry. We're hungry for you. So, Father, please, we love you. Hear our words. Hear our cry. Receive all the glory and honor. To you be all of that glory in your son's precious and holy name. Amen.